0: We are in the uh, a series titled um, uh, The Illusionist. Uh, actually, we started this series last year here at uh, Life United. Uh, we started it here, and in, in, as we were looking at 2019, I felt like we just weren't done. And so we decided to plug in uh, Illusionist. So the, I guess for, for us here at the Lake Charles campus, this is uh, The Illusionist Revisited. <laughs> so, uh, so, but, but, but it's exciting, and uh, one of the reasons it's exciting uh, that we're in this series is uh, because um, we got a text uh, from uh, someone at the Shreveport location um, a couple days ago, and they were at a conference, and guess what they were talking about? They were talking about Satan, and they were talking about how important it is. And we've just gotten different um, bits of feedback from different churches and places that this is just what God's talking about right now. And uh, let me give you the definition of, and let me just say this too, uh, speaking uh, in, in regards to Satan is not, The purpose is not to, we don't want anxiety about the enemy to be created. We just want awareness. All right, we don't want anxiety created. Oh, my goodness, we're talking about the enemy. Let me just say this. You do not have to be afraid of the enemy. You do not have to be afraid of Satan. He is stripped and whipped, all right? But we need to talk about the illusionist. We need to talk about Satan. He is the master of all illusionists uh, because uh, we have to be aware, and we're going to look at a couple of scriptures that really help us see that and understand this. that. Uh, the word illusion is defined as something that deceives by producing a false, misleading impression of reality. Something that deceives by producing a false or misleading impression of reality. So an illusionist is one who creates a false or misleading impression of reality. Uh, One who creates a false or misleading impression of reality. And just like I said a moment ago, uh, Satan is the master of all illusionists. There have been many great, you know, on, on the planet. There are a lot of great illusionists that can be in reality, make reality look like it's not reality, make things look things, things that it seems to be real, but it's really not. We have some, some uh, incredible, talented people. Let me just say this also. Um, people cannot gravitate. It's a trick. <laughs> they don't float. It's a trick. When you see an illusionist do his thing, it's all trickery. It's all, that, that's all it is. It's, it's deception, and, and it's, it, people cannot levitate. I don't know about you, but there are a few of them uh, early, uh, years ago. I remember watching a few of the guys, you know, when YouTube began to get popular. These illusionists, I'm thinking, they had to sell, they have sold their soul to the devil. There is no way, you know. <laughs> but but it's, it's just, it's just a trick. They bend, they bend reality. And before I, I, I go on to uh, to talk a little bit more about that, uh, if you've been around a while, you've heard me tell a lot of stories about my papa. And so I want to I mention another one uh, in regards to just a very special moment that I had in my life. Uh, with him. Uh, he he uh, lived in North Louisiana and owned a little small, uh, we called it a farm. It was about 40 acres, something like that. And and I got to spend a lot of time with him. And one of my favorite things and uh, times of the year and things to do was I loved uh, the summertime because we got to uh, go out into the garden. And and Papa was a master. He was very wise because he got free child labor out of the grandsons. You know what I'm saying? And here, here's what he did. He made, it, he made working in the garden fun He was like exciting and plus he bribed us just a little bit because he said okay boys after you get through working in the garden we'll go fishing this afternoon so boy i'm telling you me and my brothers we would get out there and work in that garden he got some free child labor there were no labor laws in and it was wise i mean we were there we might as well learn to work but but nevertheless um there was something that i learned from my grandfather and um As we're working in this garden. And I didn't know it then. But then I thought well Papa just loves to plant a garden. And he enjoys that. But later I realized he didn't do it as a hobby. He didn't do it just to fill some time. He did it because he had to raise that garden in order to feed his family. He had to raise that garden in order to feed his family. So uh, there was something that he—I realized that he knew—and he passed along to me, and that is this phrase: "If if Paul knew this, if I place good seed in good soil, his life's going to be better. If if, if, if Paul knew this, if he took good seed and he placed it in good soil, his life was going to be—it's going to be what? It's going to be what? It's going to be better. It reminds me of a time that Jesus." Um, introduced this brand new concept. He introduced this brand new concept. And so he is uh, early in his ministry. uh, Jesus stood and he preached this message to what I call the crowd. And it's Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter four, uh, Mark records a moment in time where Jesus stood and he preached this sermon to this big crowd. As a matter of fact, there were so many people he had to get in a boat and back off a little bit so he could communicate this, this story. He talked about or this message and he talked about this, uh, the, this truth that he communicated was this. He said, he said, a farmer goes out and begins to sow seed and he began to talk about the process. And and afterwards, um, afterwards, the, the, the Mark takes us to the next scene. The next scene, first scene, he's preaching to the crowd. And the next scene, I like to see it this way. He's talking to the crew. How many of you know it's important not only to be a part of the crowd, but really it's more important to be a part of the crew? Amen. You say, well, who is the crew? The crew was his disciples and a few others. And their response to Jesus message earlier was this. They said, Jesus, would you tell us about this parable? Would you explain to us about this parable? We want to know more about this parable, this truth that you preached on a moment ago. I I, I can't, I can't move beyond this point without saying this. Jesus believed in small groups. Jesus believed in life groups. Can somebody in the house give an amen to that, right? We, we love, we believe in small groups, we believe in life groups. And I like to say it this way, if you want to be a follower of Christ, uh, get in a group. If you want to be like Jesus, lead a group. Can somebody say amen to that? Because that's what Jesus did, right? He led this life group, basically. And, and so the disciples asked this question, and it was in response to the end of Jesus' message that he had preached to the crowd. And, and that they said, Jesus, will you explain to us, tell us what did you mean by that? You know, one of the ways that you can determine your value, values in your life and what you value is by what you question, what you ask about. Because whatever it is that you question, whatever it is that you ask about is really what's important to you. So it's important to the disciples to understand and know exactly what Jesus was talking about in that message, in uh, earlier message. And then Jesus, he, he, he began to talk to them about God's plan. It's this brand new concept. It's how God was going to work in and through his people from that point forward. From that moment forward, Jesus revealed this. He said, God is going to work through his people this way. Mark 4.11 says, he told them the secret of the kingdom of what? God. So they asked, and he gave them the secret. They asked, what did you mean by that message? And Jesus said, I'm giving you the secret to what? The, the what? It's not a, it should be up there. Right, yeah, it's not a secret. He told them the what? The secret to the kingdom of God. Everybody, with so this is a brand new concept. Hot off the press. Jesus is brand new. This is really, really good stuff. So if I had to explain what the kingdom of God means in a very simple and easy to understand way, I would say it this way. I would say the kingdom of God is is how God works in and through his people. It's how, it's not just what it is, it's how God works in and through his what? People. Let's make it personal. It's how God works in and through you listen to what jesus said in luke chapter 17 verse 21 people will say look here it is or there it is because but 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 listen to what he said here god's kingdom is where it is where it is within it's within you can anybody get a little excited about that? That today God gets to work in us and God gets to live in us. let me just say that we get to live in God's presence. We get to live in his life. Can anybody get a little bit excited about that? That we don't have to just look at God from a distance. Or we don't have to view God from a distance. But we can experience his life. Lake Charles, we ought to get a little bit more excited than, than what you're excited about right now. Amen. And listen. Here, here, here it's, it's so important that we get this. Please listen. God's love is automatic, but his influence is optional. God's love is automatic. And here's why this is important. You got to get this. God's love is automatic, but his influence is optional. So just because God loves you, doesn't mean that you will always have his influence in your life. Just because he loves you. How many know that God does love you? It doesn't mean that you have his influence in your life. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verses thirty-two and thirty-three. For the pagans run after all these things. He's talking about things. He's talking about life and life stuff. But watch this. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You're who? Your heavenly what? Father. That's his love. That's his love. So he says here that your heavenly father, that he knows that you need these things. He knows that you need this stuff. He knows that you need life stuff. He realizes that he gets that. Watch, look at verse 33. But, but seek first his kingdom, how he works, how he moves in our life. Seek first his kingdom, watch this, and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you. What as what? Well. So, so that is his influence. Are you following that? So God, God knows ahead. And and a lot of times people say this, well, 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 God, if God knows, then he'll just provide. That's not what Jesus said right here. God loves me. I know that, but just because he loves me, that's automatic. That'll never change. But, but what about his influence? What about his influence? Are you, are you following me this morning? Now, now, now listen, listen, listen to how Jesus says this new concept, right? This new concept that he's he's delivering to his disciples. We're his disciples. So it worked for them, works for us. Listen to how Jesus said this. He said, Mark 420, this this is how it works. Others like seed sown on good soil. Watch this. They hear the word, God's truth, God's promises. They accept that and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, even 100 times, which was, which was sown. So, take this. Listen to this. If I place good seed in good soil, my life's going to be better. That's how the kingdom works. If I take good seed, God's truth, God's promises, and I put that good seed in good soil, what's going to happen? My life's going to be better. Let me just say it this way. This is how God can write His story for your life. This is this concept that Jesus is talking about. This is how God writes His story for your life. You know, everybody has a story. Our, the, our, don't we all hope some of, the, some of the chapters just go missing somewhere? You know, by some of, I, there are some things, some chapters in my life. I'm like, oh, God, please don't ever let those chapters be found. We'll just leave those in the past. Is anybody here like that? Or am I the only one that's had chapters? You're just like, mm, let's forget all that. Let's just leave that where it belongs, leave it in the past. So everybody's got a story. But the truth is, everybody wants a story. The truth is, everybody wants a story. And I believe this with all of my heart. People who are wanting a story, they don't want just a story. They want God's story for their life. They, they, want, they want God's story. So what would God's story look like? What does that look like? Go to John 10.10. 10. Good, good scripture here. Now, now, this first part really can, can maybe describe our story. John 10.10, 10, it says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Maybe that is part of our story in the past. If it is part of yours, it's it's pretty common. Most all of us have had that happen somewhere in our life. But but look at this next part. I really believe this is God's story for all of us. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying what? Life. Does that not sound like a God's story to you? Amen. Now, we're not talking about riches and stuff, lots of stuff. God doesn't mind us having stuff, but he just doesn't want stuff to have us. Can I have a better amen, amen than that? That's it, he's not, not, stuff's not bad. Stuff is neutral. Stuff takes on the character of who owns it. Stuff takes on the nature of who possesses it. Can I have a better amen than that? Here's the thing about God's story. He's already given it to us through his promises. And it comes in seed form. It's not automatic. God's love is automatic, but his influence is not. So his story for us, it comes in seed form. It comes in the form of his promises and his truth of who he says that we are, what we're here to do, and what we have because we belong to him. Are you following that? It comes in seed form. It's not. Everybody look at me. Please hear this. It's not automatic. His love is automatic. His influence is optional. And it's not up to him. It's up to who? Are you following that? Well, some of you may know we were missionaries in Scotland for a few years, and and uh, um, th- there was this one 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 gentleman I'll never forget him as long as I live. Sandy and I have talked to him, uh, not talked to him, but talked about him as we've remembered him several several times. His name they called him in this church. This is in Scotland. They called him Wee Billy, not like we, but Wee, but W E E in Scotland means small. So we built it. He was the picture of a Scotsman. I mean, he's just a little round guy. He's about this tall, little round guy. I'm not even going to try to imitate his accent. It was a really cool accent. But he was, all, Billy was always smiling. Every time you were around Billy, he had this big smile on his face. And again, this little jolly little Scotsman, he's a round kind of guy. And, and every time that you saw him, well, as a matter of fact, when I first met him, uh, I didn't understand him because his accent was so strong. I understood about half of what he said, but but I knew this. Even though I didn't understand all of what he said, I knew he was full of joy. He was happy. Billy always served. He was always at the church. He was one of our life givers there. He was uh, um, always there early. He would open up the building, turn on the heat. He was just so, so faithful. And so a couple of we, we had a, a two year commitment there. And at the end of our two years, we gathered with the church and, and and we just celebrated our time that we got to spend with them. We said our goodbyes. And then a couple days later, we were scheduled to leave really early uh, uh, in the morning uh, from our apartment. It was like we're supposed to leave like at four thirty or something like that in the morning to go to Glasgow to get on the plane. And so at three thirty in the morning, I hear a knock at the door. It's just a little knock, and I thought, oh, they're here early. Those, the people who were supposed to be picking us up, they're here early. So I went to the door, opened it up. When I opened it up, guess who's standing there? It was Billy. And, and, and so I opened the door, and I said, Billy, what are you doing here? And he said, Pastor, and again with this beautiful accent. He said, Pastor, he said, I just couldn't leave without telling you goodbye. I said, Billy, come on in here, man. And he said, I just couldn't leave. That's the reason I came early. 3.30 in the morning, Billy came. So, so I hugged him and we talked a little bit. And I just said, Billy, man, you just made such a difference in my life. So the individuals that were taking us to the airport, they came and they picked us up. We got in. And here's my last memories of Billy. Here's my last memories of Billy. It was a real foggy morning in Scotland. Sun's not up, of course. It's, it's in the wee hours of the morning. There was a, there was a, a, it's almost like something out of a movie. There was a, there was a a light pole and he was standing underneath that light pole with his bicycle. It's real foggy and we're driving away. I'm looking out the rear glass and he's waving at me. It's the last memory I have of him. I did get word that Billy's in heaven today. So that's the last memory I have of Billy is Billy's just, just waving. But that's not all of Billy's story. You see, Billy... Was the town drunk. He had been the town drunk. When I met Billy. He had heard. That God loves him. He had heard. That God's got a plan for his life. He had heard that he could be forgiven. And delivered from alcohol. He had heard that that it is his purpose in life was to serve and to make a difference. He had heard that. He not only heard that, but he had accepted that. And God did a work in his life and began to rewrite Billy's story. He rewrote his story. How did he do that? It wasn't automatic. His love, God's love for Billy, that was automatic. When he was in, uh, on the sidewalk, passed out because of alcohol. And people were walking over him. And people were joking about him. And he was the town drunk. God loved him. But when, 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 God, uh, when, when Billy heard the good news of Jesus and what God could do in his life. Not just once, but continually. God rewrote his story. Because Billy didn't just hear about him. He accepted his truth. He accepted that God had a plan for his life. God rewrote his story. Please, 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 please believe this. Listen to this. And here's why I say this. Satan believes this. He knows this. He understands this. He knows this is how God works. That is the reason that Jesus said in Mark 4. Jesus is still explaining to the crew. Mark 4 verses 14 and 15. It says the farmer sows the word. Some people, uh, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. Watch this. As soon as they hear it, what? Who comes? Satan. Not a trick. It's right there. Satan, Satan comes. The illusionist. The enemy. That he comes when? A couple days. A couple weeks. Maybe a month. Immediate. Comes immediately. You see again. Why does he come immediately? Why does Satan come? And why does he do it immediately? Because he knows God's love is automatic, but God's influence is optional. And how he works through people's life is that when they hear his, God's truth, when they accept, when they accept, when they accept God's truth, their life's going to be better. That's the reason the illusionist comes on the scene. This is why Peter said, 1 Peter 5 8, be alert. Be of sober mind. Listen to this very closely. Your enemy, Satan, the illusionist, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Didn't say he's a lion. Says so like a roaring lion, looking. Everybody say looking for someone to devour. Could I just say it this way? He's hunting because it says that he, he prowls around and he's looking. Could, could I just since it's the fall? It's hunting season. Right? He's what? He's he's hunting. You know, hunters, I am one. I'm not hating on hunters because I am one. But the reality of it is we're illusionists. We we put on clothes. You follow me? We put on we pay good money for clothes. That make us look like a tree. (laughs) It's true. I mean, from head to toe. For everything. I do. I got the stuff. Man, I can stand right by a tree. You won't know I'm there. Not going to happen. Not only do we do that, but we wash our clothes that make us look like a tree and stuff. So we won't smell like we really smell. I mean, isn't this crazy that we do that? And then we use other kind of scents. We use other kind of sense to try to trick whatever we're trying to take, whatever we're trying to trap. Her, we, we use other kind of sense to lure them in, to trick them into, are you following this? Or we use, we use calls to make sounds like something that we're really not. Are you following me? We're like the ultimate illusionists. We get it. Matter of fact, I saw this. Someone sent this to me. I thought this is really good. Well, watch this. When your wife, When you let your wife put out the deer corn... It's a trout. She spelled out it's a trout with corn. Isn't that not amazing? So, Sandy, you're never putting out deer corn. Never. <laughs> but my point is this, is that our enemy, according to what Peter's writing here, this is what he's doing. He 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 understands that, that he he's gotta hunt. He's gotta look. So he sets a trap. That's the reason. First Peter five five eight says to do what? Resist him. He's hunting. He's looking, but he says do what? Resist him. And so we resist him. So how, do, how do I do that? How do, how do I resist the enemy? It's hunting. You resist him by recognizing because he's hunting the traps that he sets. He's, he's, a, he's a master at setting traps. I'm going to talk to you about the first trap this morning. This is my first point. I've got three. I'll take about 10 minutes per, so we're going to go over a little bit. No, I'm just joking. The first trap is the trap I like to call anger. The trap of anger. and Here's, here's the thing about anger. Sometimes people view anger as their ally. Sometimes people people use anger, the emotion of anger, and that, that that stuff, that thing that sort of comes up out of our on the inside of us, and we we all we all get angry. We all have our buttons. Can somebody all of us have our buttons? But sometimes we use anger as anger is as an ally, and here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we use anger to manipulate people that are close to us. We use it as an ally. Because if we use anger if we use anger as an ally, here's what that looks like. Sometimes we, we, we just we sulk just up and we'll get quiet when we're mad. We play the quiet game. We fold our arms and we want those that are around us to know that we are angry in the hopes that when they see that we're angry, they'll give in to whatever we want. So it becomes an ally to us. And we use, use it for manipulation. But here's the cost. Here's the price of manipulation. The cost of manipulation is isolation. Because if you manipulate people to get what you want and use anger for that, what happens is eventually you will isolate yourself. And when you begin to isolate yourself, you're set up for the enemy. On the other side or the other end of the spectrum, we don't saw up, we blow up. We get really mad and we get really loud because we know the individuals around us, the people that we want to get our way with. We've learned them and we learn if I just blow up, if I just get mad, they'll back down, I get what I want. We use anger as an ally. I understand this. I am ashamed to say it. That in the early years of mine and Sandy's marriage. I used to do that to her. Mine wasn't the blow up. I would just give her the silent treatment. And the reason that I would give her the silent treatment. Is because I understood that she couldn't stand it when I didn't talk to her. I'm ashamed to say it, but that's what I would do to my wife. I used anger as an ally, and the reality was it's the enemy. Listen to what Ephesians uh, 4, 26 and 27 says. If you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down uh, with with you still angry. He didn't say you're not going to get angry. He just says don't deal with it quickly. Listen to what he says. Get over it quickly. Nudge your neighbor and say, get over it quickly. And here, that's nothing personal. I didn't mean that. I don't want to cause any issues. What do you mean to get over it? To get back in there? What is I'm not angry. It was just, I felt like doing it in the moment. So anyway, watch this. Verse 27. So it says, uh, for when you are angry, watch this. You give a mighty foothold to mm -hmm, the devil. Here's another trap that, that the illusionist loves to set. It's, it's, it's the trap of envy. It's a very wise man. His name was uh, Solomon. Very, very wise man. We, we, we recognize him as probably one of the wisest men that ever lived on the planet. Listen, listen to what he said. He said, um, Ecclesiastes four four. he says, Then I observe that uh, most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. Most people are motivated to success because they what? They... Envy there. Listen to this next part. But this too is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Listen. Envy is when you measure yourself by someone else. Listen to me. You don't measure yourself by somebody else. As a child of God, you measure yourself by who God says that you are. You can look to others for inspiration, but not imitation. You can look to others for inspiration, but you can never imitate them. Your story can't be somebody else's story. Your story cannot be somebody else's story. There's There's never a win in comparison. Everybody listen to me. I love social media. I think it's great. I don't know if you saw this recently on social media, but uh, our youngest daughter, Faith, is, is expecting and we're going to have a granddaughter at the end of March. So I love that. I want the whole world to know the whole world to know that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. But but you know what? There's the other side of social media. I really believe that the enemy uses. For envy, we, 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 we look at the pictures on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. We look at the pictures of other families, and they're just perfect. I mean, they're just absolutely perfect. They, they, they got the children. They're all dressed right. They're all in their place. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's great. And you look at that, and you go, oh, oh I just... We, you look at your family, and look, you look at your kids, and we're like, you're like, we're losers. I mean, we are losers. Everybody, look at me! It's a trap. You don't know that it took seventy-five pictures in fourteen different filters to get that picture. You're seeing the highlight. You never have you ever seen a a picture of of a kid that's that's got snot running down their nose. They got macaroni cheese all over them. They got the macaroni cheese on the floor. And you're going, this is my day. This is my kid. You never see that. (laughs) Listen, envy is a trap. It's like chasing the wind. It never works. It's empty. You'll come up empty every single time. And the last trap that I am going to talk to you about this morning is the trap of worry. It's the trap of worry. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Worry in the heart of a man weighs it down. But a good word makes it glad. Here's the point that I want to make about worry. Worry affects a person's heart. Envy affects a person's heart. Envy can crowd out God's truth. And get your heart so full of envy, there's no room for God's truth to give life to anything in your life. Worry Affects a person's heart. Worry affects your soul. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 419. He says, But when they start worrying about the needs of this life, they are fooled by the desire to get rich and have all kind of other things. Watch this. So the message gets choked out, and they never produce what? Anything. So as I wrap up this morning, how do you measure? How you're doing. You ever thought about that? How, how, do I, how do I measure that? How do I measure how I'm doing in regards to this whole process that we're talking about here? How do I do in regards to uh, measuring the, the, the health of my heart? Because everybody listen to me. The health of your heart determines the health of your life. I'm not talking about your physical heart. How do, you, how, do you, how do you measure that? You measure how you're doing well. The answer is you just monitor your heart. You know, you, you pay attention to what's important to you. You monitor what's important to you. How, how, many, how many monitors your checking account? I see four people only monitor. Thank you. I knew better. Sometimes you monitor to go, oh, praise God. Looks good. And others, others you're like, before you click to open up, you're like, I'm one eye. I'm just, oh. Right. What's something else that you monitor? You monitor what your kids are doing. Matter of fact, I would love, I would have loved to have some technology that we have today. Oh, yeah. We had some pretty good stuff when my kids were younger. It was pretty good. But today... Man, you younger guys, you don't have a chance. I'm telling you, it's just. Now, you, you monitor what's important to you. That's, that's the, the point that I'm making. That's just in Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Can I say it this way? Monitor your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Please hear this. God is responsible for the seed that writes your story. You're responsible for the soil in which it goes in. God's love is automatic. His influence is optional. And his influence is optional because the seed has got to survive the soil. That's the reason we have to monitor our hearts to keep the soil right. I told stories about, if you've been around a bit, I had the best dog ever. When we get to heaven, you're going to get to meet him. And if you don't believe that dogs go to heaven, you just keep believing that. You keep believing that. I don't care. You just keep believing that. And when when you get to heaven, you're going to meet my dog. He's a lab named Chip. Had him 13 years loved him. Great dog. But there was one thing about Chip that really, he just had a couple little shortcomings. One was he was a bottomless pit. He would eat anything. I mean, the only thing that I found, we found that he wouldn't eat is broccoli. That's it. Everything else, he would eat it. One summer, I had been raising some tomatoes, and I had tomatoes planted in the back of my, against the fence in the back of my yard. So we're raising these tomatoes, and they're grow, in the green. They get green. They're starting to grow, and I can start seeing them turn a little bit, and I'm, I'm watching those things, and I'm like, day's coming. That thing's gonna be big and red. I'm gonna go through and cut it off and cut it up. Salt, pepper, it's lunchtime. Come on now, somebody. I mean, i eat that. I just couldn't wait, so one afternoon, I went home. When I got home, my tomatoes were gone. So what happened is I, I went, went out the back door. Of course, Chip, he comes up beside me. He's walking beside me, and I walk straight to my tomatoes. And I look down, and I could just see the remnant of a little bit of tomato just there. And he's sitting there, and he's sitting there, and he's looking at me. And I look at him. We had this weird relationship. I could look at him. And it's like he knew what I was thinking. And I looked at him, and his ears kind of went down. And looked at it like this. But, but then, then it just dawned on me. I'm thinking, no, I don't think he ate that because if he ate it, there wouldn't be anything left. So he was thankful for the moment that I figured that out, right? So here's what I did. I began to monitor and watch my other tomatoes. And one afternoon, about three afternoons later, I saw this big giant rat. He was a Mac Daddy. I'm talking. So I'm coming underneath the edge of the fence, and he ran down the fence line. I mean, he was so big, it shook the ground when he walked. That's how big. Not quite that big. But I saw that rat go up and I went there's the problem, I'm going to deal with that rat and you know how, what I did not long after that, my tomatoes were good why, because I monitored what was important to me and when the rats came in I dealt with them the same is true in life the rat of anger the rat of envy the rat of worry will always be trying to sneak in and you better deal with those rats. Can I have a better amen than that? So, how do, you work, how do you do that? Listen. How do you monitor? Just start listening to what you say. Just start listening because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what? Mouth speak. So, just start. You got anger? When you, when, you, when you listen to your words, you monitor those words, and you got anger in those words, you, you just stop right there and go, no, 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 what? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I'm fixing to kill this rat. Because I'm not giving place to the enemy. I'm not going to allow anger to rule my life. I'm not going to use anger to manipulate anything or anybody. I'm dealing with it right now. Envy. Oh, I just wish I was like them. Listen to your words. I wish we could be more like them. Oh, I wish I... No, no, no. Listen to your words. And you say, no, no, no. I'm I'm not going to allow the rat of envy to get in. I'm just going to stand and declare in the name of Jesus I'm beautiful and wonderfully made. God's created me and I'm running my race in my lane. I'm I'm not worried about what other people are doing or what they're not doing. Father, I thank you that you're working in my life and you're writing my story. Worry, I'm, oh, how are we gonna make it? What are we gonna do? Listen to your words. Instead of freaking out, you just say, use your faith, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm not gonna worry about a thing. I believe you got control. I believe that you're the way maker. I can't feel it. It doesn't matter. I know that you're working. I can't see it. Doesn't matter. I know that you're working because you're the way maker. What's God saying this morning? What's he saying? Watch the traps as the enemy lays them. Be aware of them and don't take the bait. Resist them.